Good morning, church. Have a seat if you would. And um, I'm seeing kids, a lot of them, uh, looking like, what do we get to do here? And uh, you can stay here and hear a pretty good sermon, but I think you'll you'll probably have even more fun with Miss Jamie, who's in the back waiting and waving, and she wants to have you come join her and have a blast, okay? So uh, while you're on your way back, I uh, have been asked a number of times by uh, you already this morning, um, how's Debbie? And I wanted to let you know that uh, she's home. Um, She's home again, um, the first time about five weeks, and this time she was in the hospital a, a week for a consolidation chemo. She's home now and recovering, resting. And I just have to tell you, because God is, we, we quote uh, Psalm uh, 84:11, which says, God is our sun and our shield. He gives both grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. We quote that all the time in our family. We share that all the time with, I mean, strangers. It doesn't matter to me anymore. It's like you want to hear something cool, and you just put it out there. And we're living that. Um, yesterday, I decided it was, um, I was just going to hold on tight to um, the idea of taking my dear wife and my dad on a drive. And so we did. We got in the car, and um, we just started out. The only thing I didn't want to do is get on any freeways, right? Fair enough? Because uh, I would, I, how, many time, how many have lost their religion on a freeway recently? I mean, it's terrible. It's not good. I don't want to be there. So I decided, we just started wandering. We went all the way down near Silverton. There's a wonderful place. I don't mind giving it a shout out. They, uh, as I understand, they love Jesus. The, the folks that run this place, it's called Willamette Valley Pie Company. Go there. Spend a fortune. You won't. Uh, it's so. It's so affordable. Pie for two ninety nine. I know I'm torturing you just before lunch, but, uh, but you know we had pie a la mode, and we even had grilled, uh, beef hot dogs, and sat outside and just went. Ah, oh, this. I know it's not heaven, but man, th- I'll bet they have this pie in heaven. I'm pretty sure peach pie is going to be there, and of course Marion Berry and a whole bunch of others. Anyway, enough of that. We came home and we all went, you know, a little bit tired, but it was worth it every step of the way. So I wanted to give you that little little uh, appreciation for your continuing uh, partnership with us in a season that we never saw coming, and we have wondered often how will we find a way, and God keeps showing us the way. So that's my testimony, and that's Debbie's too. She's, I know you're watching, honey. So. Um, so I want to say a word to people that are watching. Um, there's a lot of them. Last Sunday, I watched from a hotel room in Helena, Montana. And it's the first time I've ever gone to church ironing my wedding shirt that was going to be needed in about an hour. Um, and Debbie was in her hospital room in Portland. So here we are. And I don't mind telling you, maybe you already knew this, but we're sort of almost flirting with each other because you can watch live stream and chat. And, and only these are not private comments. So uh, <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> hey, little darling, how you doing? <laughs> you know? Anyway, that was Steve and Debbie were married. Anyway, um, but anyway, it was just wonderful because I could imagine being here with you and couldn't be. I uh, had a wonderful wedding in Montana, and uh, Debbie was here um, 
awaiting uh, discharge again from the hospital, and that's happened. So anyway, thank you for joining us. You who are far away and nearby, um, some of you will watch this later, and I understand that a growing number do that uh, for a variety of reasons. So it's really cool, and I appreciate that. And um, welcome you in every week. And, uh, of course, a house full of folks here, too. So it's really a good thing, and God's doing great things. I want to ask a one-question quiz this morning, all right? Everybody ready for your... Okay, it's just, it's not going to get complicated, but where is the safest place to go when you hear either on your cell phone or TV, they break in, there's a weather alert that announces something like there's a approaching hurricane, a windstorm, a tornado in some places. Some of you are watching from places like that. Um, uh, wildfires, uh, flash floods, we get those sometimes, and certainly they do in other parts of the country. Where is the safest place if you get such an alert? Upwind? Okay, that's a start. The bathroom. <laughs> How old are you, young man? Eleven. That's a good place because you're probably n nervous by then. You're like, ah, run for cover, right? What, what else? Anybody? Let me give you the answer. Yeah, well, higher ground would work, yeah, in some cases. I mean, the simple answer is as far from that threat as possible, right? I mean, really, get out of it. Just run. Uh, drive fast. Take cover. Like my sermon title says today, it's coming. This is no time to say, mm, what if I go up that, that side of the road, I'll be okay. You might try that, and it may work, but I don't live with that kind of risk very, very well. I don't like that. You tell me there's a flash flood coming. This happened two weeks ago. got me thinking about it. My sister lives in Southern Cal, and it said, there's this alert. I watched the weather there. Debbie and I came from there, and, uh, and, and it said, flash flood warning, not watch, warning in Chino Hills, it turned out to be. So I called her right away. I'm like, get out of it. And she's like, out of what? You know, what are you talking about? Stock market? What is this? You know, what is, get out. And I said, well, my phone just alerted. You, can you hear the alarm in my voice when I say it? Because that's the right response. Take cover. Some said go to higher ground. Flee fast. If you were in any tsunami zone and an alert goes out, you don't just stand there and go, man, I wish I had my surfboard. Whoa. <laughs> Dude's coming, man. Cowabunga. No, you don't do that. You get out of there if you want to survive it. Um, but here's the deal. I know I'm talking to people. Not everyone does the right thing in danger. I know that's true. I'm that guy. I was a Boy Scout. And we're supposed to know all the danger and how to stay away from it. And I was at Kings Canyon National Park in Yosemite with my troop as an 11-year-old, and we came around the corner, our troop, at night, and there was a sudden halt issued by our scoutmaster. Stop! And he 
holds a big old beam at a gigantic bear right in front of us, having a feast in a giant dumpster, uh, like trash can, right? And just, and I'm like, this is cool. And he had his arms out, stop. And I'm thinking, that applies to all you other Boy Scouts, but I'm going to get a closer look, right? So I start up there, and he goes, stop now. And I just thought, hey, you know, what's the worry, right? Next thing I feel is a smack across my face, right? No, it wasn't the bear. Some of you are thinking, really? That happened? Boy, that was good surgery you got or something. No, it was my scoutmaster getting my attention going, look. He didn't say it. He meant it. Stupid. <laughs> Stay away from the bear. You, you're a few more feet, and then you're part of the meal. <laughs> right? So I know that. Not everybody does the right thing. All the other guys did the right thing. But I didn't. Um, so here's the deal. I'm going to ask you a show of hands, and you can be honest and hold it up if it's true or not, or you can just ignore this, and we'll get into Zephaniah in just a second. How many of you would call yourself a risk taker? Okay, about yeah, a third of the room. Okay, risk taker. Let's go a little further. Adrenaline junkie. I see a wife holding up a husband's hand right now. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, here's, this, this takes it even further. How many of you have ever been described as someone that has a death wish? <laughs> oh, wow, some, some of the same people. Okay, so this, this message um, tells me I'm speaking to the right people, all right? <laughs> now, I've also just described people in Judah, in the southern kingdom of Israel, kingdom had divided in 930, and in the 7th century B.C., Judah was the nation in the south. And <clears throat> they had a fresh memory, not a distant one, a fresh memory of a tragedy experienced by their neighbors to the north. In other what I'm saying there is, if something really bad happened right now, you would have the memory. If it happened to me, if I'm up here, something terrible happened to me right this moment, you would be able to say, wow, I'll never forget that. Judah could have looked up north to, it was actually known as Israel in those days, and said the same thing. They had a front row seat to the tragedy that befell them. The northern kingdom had fallen to the invading Assyrian army uh, despite the fact that they had been given repeated warnings. They ignored them all. And instead of taking notes on their fallen uh, brethren, in hopes of, I would guess, avoiding a similar outcome, you ready for this? They actually um, blew it off. Perhaps some thought, well, that's bad luck. Bummer living up north. And they never made it personal. 
They never took it to heart. In fact, I'll go a step further, they actually copied the behavior that caused the North to fall. Who does that? It'd be like us in America looking up at Canada and some dumb thing happens up there and it destroys a whole bunch of people. And instead of taking notes and saying, we got to make sure no matter what, that never happens here, we, 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 have, we just go, well, that's what happens in Canada. Really? Really? And my answer is, according to the Bible, yeah, really. Um, undeterred, Judah was, at the clear and present danger that was rapidly approaching. They, um, they ignored it all, and they drove straight like that storm chaser show, the Discovery Channel, they drove straight into, I'm going to give it a name, a spiritual superstorm of their own. Uh, it was to these people that God sent a prophet. His name's Zephaniah. If you haven't found the three-chapter book called Zephaniah, I'd encourage you to do that. I want you to do that. Grab your cell phone if that's how you look up things in the Bible. If you're using the text of Scripture, I'd like you to do that too. But So the king of Judah at the time of this prophet, Ze- Zephaniah, the king was a standout guy. His name's Josiah. Josiah is uh, who every parent wants their son to turn out to be like. Okay? He was a kid when he took the throne. He rocked it, we would say. Kids would say today. He rocked it for God. It's an amazing king. If you sat down with Josiah, put him on a stool up here and said, hey, tell us about your family. He would take you, he would quickly move further, way further back than his dad or even his granddad. He would go all the way back to his great-grandfather and he'd say, yep, I'm the great-grandson of Hezekiah, who was a stud for God. He was a king who just plain went all in for God. Not a perfect guy, not a perfect guy, but just a really good guy. So fast forward, he has a grandson named Josiah. This is said of Josiah, just so you know. So we're dealing with Zephaniah the prophet, Josiah the king of Judah in the south. The north's already gone. Remember, Assyria came, got him, and they're done. But you got these words describing in 2 Kings 23, verse 25. Everybody wants these words written of them. They read, never before had there been a king like Josiah. That's the writer looking as far back as he could. Who turned to the Lord with all of his heart and soul and strength and obeyed all the laws of Moses. And there has never been another king like him ever since. That's a statement that says you can go far back as you want in history and far forward as you want in the future. This guy's worth talking about, Josiah. I want to be that guy. Which explains why in his mid-20s he got word Um, They actually found something in the temple that had been nailed shut by his his grandfather, Manasseh, 
Ring a bell? Manasseh's going, I don't need this temple thing. I certainly don't need this God thing. And he nails the temple shut. For real? Well, they found something. Somebody went in, pried the door open, went inside, and they found the law. They found the Word of God. It had been more or less banned, disregarded. No one needed it, right? That's what they were told. And so people stayed away from it. There's a longing in the heart. I saw that in Eastern Europe when we were there. People weeping over, um, over a longing to, to worship God freely in a communist, atheistic world that they had lived in. They knew there was a God. So this discovery is brought to Josiah, the king, and you would guess it broke his heart. He did things that brokenhearted people did in the ancient world. We don't do it so much today. They tore their clothes. They fell on their face before God. They wept. They cried out tears of mourning before God. And then, without delay, he gets up and he sets out to straighten out the mess that his grandfather Manasseh had left. Is that just crazy good? Don't wait for somebody else to do it when it needs to be done. Would you, would you take that one home with you? You know, if there's a mess in your family, address it. Don't address it for credit or for a bigger share of the inheritance. Just fix it because it's the right thing to do. It's the God thing. To, it's the Josiah thing to do. And he did it. I, I'm going to give you a, an assignment. You don't have to do it right now because uh, I want you to listen to me. But Second uh, Kings chapters uh, 22 and 23. Would you, would you read that today? And you'll get to know Josiah. You'll wish you had named your son Josiah. It's really cool. Okay? So check it out. So Jeff, Zephaniah, this prophet, back to him, is given the task of announcing to complacent Judah these words. There's a storm coming. Take cover now. So, <clears throat> um, clearly, Judah's response to Israel's fail, I've mentioned, was to completely shrug its shoulders. Bad choice. Prompting the prophet to speak some really indicting words. I'm going to go out on a limb and tell you these words didn't need to be said at all if Judah had paid attention. Judah's in the south. Jerusalem's its capital, just to give you a point of reference. If they had gone, man, that happened just like God said it would. Assyria came, wiped out the north. It was bad. It was a complete fail. They're exiled. They've been hauled into another land away from their home. Scores died. You tend to pay attention to stuff like that. And had they, nothing that we're talking about here today would need to be said. I'm going to just put it out there. I don't think Zephaniah would be in the book, in the, in the Bible. But because the South said, not here, 
Can you hear the swag? Ain't going to happen here. God had some serious words spoken by the prophet. So look on with me. Let's just read chapter 1, okay? And then we'll just touch on a couple of quick things and be done. Uh, the word of the Lord came to Zephaniah, son of Cushi, and a variety of people. And, of course, Hezekiah makes the list. His great-grandfather. And during the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. Okay? I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. So let me stop for just a quick second because I just need to address something. If you're from the school that believes that God's just this glorious, nice guy that looks the other way when things aren't as they should be, the Bible wants to challenge your view of God. It really does. Is God gracious? Yeah. Loving? Yeah. Redemptive? Yeah. Kind? Yeah. Persevering? Yeah. Forgiving? Yeah. But God will powerfully and directly address sin that's being hidden and not repented of. So, I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth are words that God spoke, not a prophet on a bad day. I will sweep away both man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the sky and the fish in the sea and the idols that cause the wicked to stumble. When I, he's just getting started. When I destroy all mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. Lord. That, that's shocking. I will stretch out my hand against Judah because, and, and against all who live in Jerusalem. I will destroy every remnant of Baal worship in this place. The very names of the idolatrous priests those who bow down on the roofs to worship the starry hosts. And then watch this. Those who bow down and swear by my, by my name, by the Lord. But then they swear by Moloch as well. Moloch is an idol god that uh, the special feature there is, if you really want to go places with that god, make sure you got a spare son because you need to sacrifice him. Who does that? No wonder God's worked up. Those who turn back from following the Lord and neither seek the Lord nor inquire of Him. So be silent before the sovereign Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. Circle that sentence. The day of the Lord is near. Almost any theologian you could consult on this passage will say a couple of things. Number one, this really did happen. That day of the Lord did come in 586 B.C. And Judah, in spite of the warning went down. King, Babylon, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came in, and it was game, set, match. Somebody turn out the lights. That's how it happened. But most theologians, in fact, all that I've ever known, will say, no, this is also a description of a much bigger, you with me? Day of the Lord. And y'all, in 2021, that day has not yet come. But it's coming. You see where this message is going? It's both ways. We're looking back and we're looking forward. So the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He's consecrated those he has invited. On that day, the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all those clad in foreign clothes. On that day, I will punish all who avoid stepping on the threshold, uh, who fill the temple of their gods with violence and deceit. In other words, they won't go to my, my church, my temple, 
They won't even come to the front door. They seem to have no problem following other gods and their temples and worshiping them. On that day, declares the Lord, verse 10, a cry will go out from the fish gate, that's a gate in old Jerusalem, wailing from the new quarter, also in Jerusalem, and a loud crash from the hills. Wail, you who live in the market district. All your merchants will be wiped out. All who trade with silver will be destroyed. At that time, I will search Jerusalem. Watch this. I will search with lamps and punish those who are complacent, who are like wine left in its, uh, on its dregs, who think the Lord will, will do nothing, either good or bad. Ever felt that way? I think I got away with it. Maybe God didn't see it. Maybe it doesn't matter. It's too little for God to be concerned about. He's got Portland on his mind these days. Much bigger problem. I don't know. You ever thought like I think sometimes? I'm not making this stuff up. Their wealth will be plundered. Their house dem houses demolished. Though they build houses, they will not live in them. Though they plant vineyards, they will not drink the wine. The great day of the Lord is near, near and coming quickly. How many ways can he say it? The cry on that day, the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty warrior shouts his battle cry. That day will be like a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. Most of you are saying, enough, enough. He's not done. A day of trumpet, battle cry against the fortified cities and against the corner towers. Speaking of old Jerusalem, I will bring such distresses on all people that they will grope about like those who are blind. Because they have sinned against the Lord, their blood will be poured out like dust and their entrails like stone. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them, something that we're quite capable of thinking in our affluent world here in America today. Hey, I can fix this. I've got enough money. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them on that day of the Lord's wrath. In the fire of his jealousy, the whole earth will be consumed, for he will make a sudden end of all who live on the earth. Whew. It's a hard chapter to read. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm, I'm not pounding on anybody here. Not. I'm just saying that this is not something that happened in a history book, and boy, I'm glad God got over that. It isn't. God's great judgment against unrepentant sinners was fast and approaching quickly and would make landfall soon. That's the job that the trembling need Zephaniah had to speak to people that didn't want a thing to do with listening to it. It will impact people with a divided love, verse 5. It will impact those, how many people do we know? Maybe you're one of them who started to love God and walk with God and turn their back. It will impact people like that, says verse 6. They stop following. Started out and flamed out. Began to walk with Jesus and then 
In some cases, just went, here's my keys, I'm done. In other cases, it was just that Sheldon Von Aiken calls it creeping separateness. Me and Jesus, we were like that. What happened to make us like that? You know people like, are you that? Is that you right now? I don't know. And I, I want to I be respectful. You're maybe here to say, I got to get it back. Because verse 6 is saying, you know what? God's great um, um, wrath is not going to be tolerant of people that are, well, I walked with you once. I used to be with you. I used to care about things that you make a big deal of in your book. Not so much anymore. It will impact those who think that their sins are somehow hidden from God or no big deal to him. I mentioned that one already in verse, I think it was verse 12. Um, There's there's people that, that think that way. And it's not a good way to think. It's not true either. To say, you know, um, it, it doesn't really matter. Um, I'm, uh, uh, I always don't really uh, bother God when we're off the path. Um, you know, God's understanding, you know. Hey, everybody has a bad day. You heard that one? You know, everybody blows it. Everybody messes up. Um, people, can I just correct something here? Everything matters to God. Everything. Uh, the Bible in the New Testament, Hebrews 4, verse 13 says, listen to these words, nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything, everything is open and laid bare, meaning there's no, how many of us have something hidden, something embarrassing? Tuck that in the pocket. You don't know that I have mints in my pocket right now, but I do, all right? You didn't know that. What if these aren't mints? This is a a sinful something going on in my life. It's off the radar as far as I know. I think I'm getting away with it. No, Hebrews 4.13 is saying, no, everything is open and laid bare before the eyes of him, listen to this, to whom we must give an account. You know what that means? Let me translate give an account. We've got to explain. These aren't mints. This is some sinful something in my pocket or in my closet. I get to explain it. I can't blame it. I can't defer it. I can't say, hey, Lord, the line's long. Obviously, these folks have a lot more to share with you right now and explain. No, it doesn't work that way. So he knows and he will expose the secrets of our hearts, all of them. Here's what I think verse 12 is saying. Um, Look, if I've got a lantern, God's words, and I'm going to go around Jerusalem, and I'm going to expose it all in all the corners, houses, places. Do you not think I've got the same ability in the human heart? Sound like Psalm 139, isn't it? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. He knows it all. The psalmist there is just giving him permission 
take a look around. Um, so <clears throat> the only safe place from a God who is not pleased with secret sin, with um, the things that we've described in chapter 1, the only safe place from his outpouring of wrath against such sin. And there's no way to read chapter 1 without using the W word. Wrath is there. It's God not happy. Um, I want to I want to read you words. I, I passed on them a moment ago, but they need to be read. They're from Larry Crabb, who wrote the book uh, Shattered Dreams. And ever since reading this years and years ago, every time, um, I, I mean, I, I tremble at his words whenever I take inventory. Listen to this. The Bible reveals God as absolutely holy. The angels who continually surround him cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Remember that? And Paul, the apostle, introduces God in Romans as a holy God who's passionately furious at all that is unholy. Stay with it now. His presentation, Paul's presentation, of the good news of the gospel starts with the bad news, with bad news for us. You're all sinners. And you're in the crosshairs of a wrathful, judge, a vengeful God against such sin. That's not good news, and that's not easy to say. In a world that says, no, no, I'm pretty good. I'm enlightened. Frankly, I'm more advanced than my parents. I didn't mean that. That was just me speaking out on what I said. Uh, you know, I'm more advanced. I'm, I'm enlightened. Uh, back to the quote. His proclamation of good news of the gospel starts bad news for us. God is a God of vengeance, of wrath, and retribution. He will not allow the guilty to remain unpunished. The picture of the Bible presents that the Bible presents is not of a warm and loving father who likes his children and who sees to it that they all have a good time. People say, God means for us to obey his rules, but if we don't, and no one does, of course, not completely, he's really quite understanding. That's our view today of grace. It's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. It develops when we talk about grace without trembling at God's holiness. People, the only place where it's safe from the wrath of God against sin is Jesus Christ. You, you, your reaction tells me, oh, I'm so glad there's a place. It's a place of grace. The Father caused His Son, Jesus, who knew no sin, to stand in the way and take the hit for this sinner that I might become somebody I didn't stand a prayer of a chance of becoming. Righteous, righteous, holy, 
forgiven, redeemed by what Jesus did for me. Amen? That's the gospel. You know the song Amazing Grace? Anybody heard it? Right? What makes grace amazing? I'm sorry? Wrath. What makes an A on my son's report card so... I Notice I didn't mention my report card because they didn't show up there at all. I, I changed several of them, but anyway. Um, what makes an A so amazing? Pardon? An F. That's exact. The 11-year-old's got this. Get up here, boy, and you preach this. Certain, no, I'm just kidding you. Don't do it. Um, that's true. Why is an A so cool? Because an F isn't. It isn't. Amazing grace is amazing. It, it puts amazing into grace when we realize I don't deserve that. Moreover, Jesus didn't deserve what he did to cover me in his blood, to forgive me of my sin, to give me life and hope and eternity and to change it all. That's, that's the story here. That's the beautiful thing. Um, so I just got to ask you, are you in Christ? Don't tell me if you're a good guy or good gal. That does not matter. Because you're not good enough. You might be really stinking good. I mean, really cool. But not cool enough. Do you get that? I've stood at so many memorial services where we're talking about uh, somebody that passed. And they're really full of virtue. Really great people you want to be like. But every single time, I'm careful to say they weren't great enough. I don't, that, please, somebody say that about me. You could say it about Billy Graham. Pick your greats. He would say it. You wouldn't have to say it on his behalf. He'd go, you know, I'm just, I just did what God told me to do. Some of the time. I'm a sinner. And the storm would have taken me out. But I took cover in Christ. I was covered in his gracious forgiveness. Which makes those three verses that start chapter 2 just so cool. I mean, the gospel's in the Old Testament too. It's not just New Testament. Look at this. Gather together. Gather yourselves together, you shameful nation. Digest that sentence, somebody. It's calling it out. Before the decree takes effect, chapter 1, and that day passes like windblown chaff, before, notice he says before three times, that means he does not wish for any to perish. Read Ezekiel 18, you'll see it's true. God takes no de delight in the death of a godless one. That's what it says there. So, before the decree takes effect that my wrath will be poured out, and before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, and before the day of the Lord's wrath comes upon you, verse 2, seek the Lord, all you humble of the land. You who do what he commands, seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. I wish I could tell you they read verses 1 through 3 in chapter 2 
but most ignored it. Maybe by that time they stopped listening altogether. It was true. 20 years after this prophet book came out, 20 years later, they had been taken over by Babylon. They were there. Um, so take cover now. Um, even though it's deserved, this wrath thing that the Bible's making a point of, God's greater desire for Judah and, and every sinner, including me and you, is, is for you and I to repent and avoid the promised day of the Lord and its vengeance against unrepentant sinners. So I just need to ask you, have you, just, have you surrendered to him? Have you repented? It's like a loving parent, you know, I um I grew up testing the bounds. Like that's a news flash, right? But I did and uh and I did dumb things like, you know, I was told, Steve, don't do that again. And I would instead of being warned away and changing it up, I'd go, Why? <laughs> or what'll happen then? You talk about, like, you hear what I'm saying? It's like enticing a parent. But while my parents were, like, persevering, they're still seeing therapists. I understand that. Uh, but you get what I'm saying here? Uh, that, that's, but a loving parent gives a child sometimes a second chance before punishment. And God extends the same. Otherwise, you can't explain why Zephaniah is in the Bible. You can't, you know, God would just go, no. Like a mousetrap, whack, you're done. Peter said it this way, God is not slow, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, God is not slow about his promised return, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing, listen to this, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Please don't stop listening. That's verse 9. Verse 10 but the day of the Lord will come. Do you hear God's mercy and judgment? It's all there. It, it's, it's like uh, people hearing a forecast of an approaching hurricane. They face a choice to believe the forecast and to, and to escape the storm's sure fury and Debbie's family's from Hurricane Alley or near there in Oklahoma. They don't trifle with stuff like this. They have a basement that's a storm shelter. Um, they, they look for cover. They don't ignore as a, as a rule. Because the Bible's saying if you ignore this, you'll perish. Um. God wants us to be people who hear a message like this and it, and it changes us. Um, I just have to admit something that's hard to admit. The response of, of, to God's offer of grace and forgiveness to undeserving sinners, which, by the way, 
is 100% of us. You're getting that, right? That offer has always had a mixed response. You realize that? It shocks me to say that to you. That somebody could hear, look, God's justified in his anger against the sin that you won't repent of. Comma. But he's more interested in forgiving you, in hearing you call out to him and say, God, have mercy on me. Remember the guy in Luke 18? The sinner. That's the God that is in the Bible. But even that appeal I've just made to you, it's always had a mixed response. There's no sermon I could point to in all of the Bible that's more like that than Acts 17 and Paul's in Athens, bunch of heady people, right? And he preaches this powerful message and it says these words, God commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man Jesus that he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising Jesus from the dead. End of sermon. They all came forward, right? No. Read the end of Acts 17 and you'll see there were very different responses, very mixed responses. One group, one group, the right out of the gate, scoffed. They went, hey, preacher, take a break and less coffee next time, okay? You know, they just sneered at him. They just, it's called dismissive. They just went, man, the gospel's right there. Paul just gave it. And they went, no, not for me. <laughs> yeah, resurrection from the dead, right. Okay, that was the first response. The second response was, watch me. That's why I grew my beard a little bit so you can see it. All right, look closely. All right, these are guys that went, huh, I sense there's something here. And they, we could call it, they kind of squinted. They didn't sneer. They, they, they went, hmm. And they actually say, you know what, we want to check this out some more. Can we have coffee this week and talk about it? They did. I'll do that. With anybody listening today, if you're one of those that goes, eh, I'm not so convinced, let's talk. Come to the office, go to some coffee shop nearby, whatever, right? Ready for this? That's only two. The third response is a response I sense in many of your hearts. They said, you know what? That's true. That's for me. Jesus my Lord and my God and they bow to knee to him and they confess with their tongue that you are Lord of the universe I'd like you to bow your heads today with me God I don't say these things easily and people don't hear them easily I love the people that make up the Grace Point family it's such a such a beautiful group of people but we all start the same way as anybody else we need a savior we're sinners God we, um, we come to you today as people that are interested in 
um, your help because you've told us what you want us to do, but it's even pulling that off. We need more strength than we showed up with. If you're here this morning, you've got sin that's stuck in your heart. You're watching from some hotel room, and it's not where you should be right now spiritually. And you used to be that guy or that gal that walked with Jesus, but you're not doing that anymore. You, um, you've let other gods take over and have their way and sway in your heart. But you know it's not, it's not a pathway that leads to life. You know that. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to say, Jesus, I surrender to you. I bow the knee. I know I could hold out for more proof, but that would be as silly as listening to a newscast of a fast approaching storm and blowing it off. I don't want to be that because the consequences here are actually eternal. You said that there's great joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So here's what I want you to do today. We're going to sing a song that talks about uh, what this sermon should do in all of our hearts, what this message from God's Word should, should have in our hearts, and that's to be amazed. But, but this morning I want you to be, if you, you've been away, and yeah, you repented long ago, but you've walked your own way, and today you're sensing God saying, I'm throwing you another rope. I'm giving you another chance. Take it. Take it today. Turn to Him. God, I pray that people are turning to you right now, that they would find cover in your grace, in the blood of Jesus, that as you say in 1 John, it covers sin and sinners completely. So starting today, we want to we wanna change it up again and live for you fully. We want to we sing this song like it's brand new the first time. We are amazed by you.